Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest for this special Friday bonus episode is Lewis Bennett, a documentary filmmaker whose new picture, The Sandwich Nazi, opens at Toronto's Carlton Cinemas today, Friday, May 5th. Lewis picked Stand By for Tape Backup, a remarkable video mixtape by Ross Sutherland adapted from a multimedia piece he performed in 2014. It's a monologue set to the images from an old VHS cassette filled with snippets of English TV broadcasts, music videos, ads, a clip from Ghostbusters. But the images stop and start, bleeding into each other as Sutherland talks about emotional collapses and personal spirals, and the whole thing becomes something stranger and more involving than just watching someone watch television. It's streaming for free on Vimeo and at standbyfortapebackup.com right now, and I would strongly suggest you see it before you listen to this episode, partly because our conversation will make less than no sense if you don't know what we're talking about, and also because Standby for Tape Backup is a really remarkable work, and you should see it even if you don't listen to this episode. This is someone else's movie. It's just a film that um, you don't know where it's going from the from the very beginning, and, and that's really exciting, and, and um, it, it has a sort of a playfulness with it. It doesn't seem to care it's not too concerned about its audience. Like there's few, there's a few sections where it stops and we just have this black screen and there's like for sometimes like five minutes at a time, or there's like a still frame of Bill Murray from Ghostbusters. And, um, it's, it's kind of like a punk rock film that, that is exciting. And, um, yeah. And kind of, I don't know, it doesn't know, um, what am I trying to say? Well, let me pull you around to a different angle. Um, what was what was your experience of it? Did you get to see it with Sutherland in person? No, I saw it in Buenos Aires at the Bafisi Festival there. Um, I don't know why I picked it. I think it just looked like an interesting film. Um, and, yeah, I was kind of blown away. And, and, and it was my favorite film that I saw at the festival. And then I saw that he put it up on Vimeo recently for free, which is cool. Yeah, a reminder to people listening, watch the damn thing. I've already told you once. <laughs> yeah, so you can you can watch it for free on Vimeo right now. Um, and I yeah, I was kind of curious as to why he chose to put it up online for free. I think that's cool and, and definitely something like all of my short docs, I think I've made like 12 of them that they're all up on, on Vimeo for free and... and um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it kind of makes me want to make weirder, smaller movies and and put them up online for free. I guess I don't know. It's financially, it's probably not the best, but uh, yeah, I think it's the kind of movie that I kind of I want to make in the future. Um, the experience of our last doc, The Sandwich Nazi, has been kind of uh, it's been a bit of a pain in the ass, and so I'm I'm I want to go back to. Uh, making things just for fun. Something internal, maybe? Like something that comes from you instead of an exterior. Because the thing about Standby for Tape Backup that I was so stunned to see is how effective it is at putting you in the head of the person watching the videotape, of the kid version of Sutherland. Um, the, the, there's a moment, like the, the, the clip of Ghostbusters that keeps repeating, just to the point where this is the scene where um, 
I can't imagine somebody listening to this episode not having seen this thing already. But this is the moment where Bill Murray is is slimed, or just before when it when when Onion Head approaches him uh, in the in the hotel hallway. It's terrifying. By the time we get to the point where you know ten year old Ross is watching this thing over and over and over again the individual frames are really disturbing by the time we reach that point. You're seeing it slowed down and reprocessed and you finally understand, oh yeah, if I was 10 and stumbled on this with no knowledge of what I was watching, I, this, I would hide behind the couch. I would never come into the closet. I would be frightened to leave the room forever. And that's something that like, documentaries don't do that. Even personal documentaries don't put you in the headspace the same way. Uh, of the young version. I mean, like, that's just conceptual art at that point. And it's still just a clip from Ghostbusters. Yeah. No, no, I, I definitely hear you. There's, yeah, I, it, it connects you to him very directly. Him him as a kid and, and him now um, in a way that, that a lot of films don't. And, and that's definitely, that's definitely an exciting thing about it. And so when you say you're looking to do something personal, would it be similar? Would it be that kind of experimental activity, or um, I guess just scope and sort of um, just something made at home and it has a homemade DIY feel to it, and, oh, yeah. and that's exciting. I think to me, um, it 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 comes off as a little bit glib and like there's no effort put into it, but it's clearly very constructed. And there's a lot of artifice in the the way that like obviously the re- the rewinding was done in post and all these sort of things where you're watching it and you're like oh that's that just him pressing play on a VHS but as I watched it the second time recently yeah I was kind of seeing all those little bits and pieces of things and, and sound mixes and music and when I first watched it I kind of just immersed myself in it and didn't didn't pick all those things up and then afterwards I could see that clearly they had put a lot of work into it and um yeah the spoken word uh like how it starts out with narration and then goes to spoken word and then goes to kind of a rap mm-hmm. um that f- the the way that that flowed was was really effortlessly and when you're watching it for the first time you don't really know where it's going and and yeah. at that second viewing made me think yeah this is they spend a lot of time piecing this together yeah. the other thing i really like is the um the narration he sounds <laughs> he sounds hungover or kind of depressed or like it's not the narration is is very yeah I, I don't know how would you describe his narration it's kind of weary isn't it it's yeah. it's somebody who is um he's not enthusiastic about sharing this like it's an artifact it it sounded at, at first I thought the framing was sort of going to be that we're watching uh, I mean, like Cloverfield like a, like an artifact has been retrieved and we're watching it to see what it means and then instantly it's no that's not it we're doing something else the context of it is personal and and important but I think that's part of the the way that it seduces you that you're listening to someone confess something and he's tired of holding it in and so we're watching the tape not for the first time in 30 years, but for his 30th time in a year. It's, it's, a, it's an exorcism of all this stuff. He's, conf- he's letting it out. It's venting. Um, I saw it at, the, at Hot Dogs at a press screening with maybe eight people in the theater, and none of us had any idea what was going on. And it's just, when it snaps in, it's so great, because not only is this really interesting and really kind of bristling with ideas and, and, and 
turning itself inside out to show us what's going on, but it's also the work of somebody who knows exactly what he's doing. It's not fumbling. It's, it pretends to fumble here and there. There are things that the narrator, that, that whatever character Sutherland is playing, can't quite get into right away, but eventually gets to. But the way it circles and the way it comes through, it's, it's all just so elegant. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, and yeah, as you say, the, the structure of it is created artificially. We're not really watching a VHS tape. We're watching somebody DJ a digital file. But the sound effects were so oddly comforting to me. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I grew up with, with video cassettes. Yeah. And that first sound of the heads engaging, coming forward and wrapping the tape around, I, that feels good to me. It's just yeah. a, That's my... Oh, what is it? ASMR. That's the thing that just makes me feel happy. <laughs> I totally agree. I think, and doesn't the, I felt like the first 30 seconds is just black or something mm-hmm. like and color bars. Yeah. There's a few things like that in the, in the film where, yeah, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, Oh, this is, this is a different, this is a different kind of movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, aesthetically it, it replicates something that doesn't happen anymore, but in a modern and, con- and immediately contemporary understanding of it. I've been going back through um, old home videos recently and been I cut a short recently that's all uh, home video of my dad um, it's kind of a dad humor type short doc um, and so I've been sort of immersing myself in that world and, and learning to digitize and oh, I mean I've done that before but um, kind of getting really into the specifics of how best to digitize things and um, are you working with actual film? Or are you transferring it yourself? No, no not film. All uh, like high eight and okay. and that sort of thing. So I'm I've been kind of nerding out on that stuff. So maybe that could have been one of the reasons why I was thinking about this film recently. There was a couple others that, um, a couple other movies of of that era or or aesthetically uh, films that are similar in aesthetic that I was also been thinking about. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like heavy metal parking lot, and oh, yeah. I don't know. There's a couple others that have been on my radar. So not found footage exactly, but kind of reinterpretations. Of, yeah. Have you seen the Beaver trilogy? No, because no. that's one that I was thinking of watching. This the Beaver trilogy is a monologue. Um, initially, it's a documentary. The first one is this weird guy called the Beaver Kid who followed the filmmaker and wanted to be part of whatever it was he was. Doing. He saw a guy with a TV camera and said, I want to do this for you, and he performs himself. And then subsequently, the filmmaker, the guy holding the TV camera who lucked into this person, shot it twice, uh, replicated it. He, he shot recreations of this, once with Crispin Glover and once with Sean Penn. Oh, I've heard about And then this, there's yeah. a fourth part of it. He shot over, over decades, and then there's a fourth part of it that... Um, sort of re-examines it all and brings it back together. That's Beaver Trilogy Part 4. I, I have no idea even where you'd find it now. It's probably online somewhere. But that played... I'm pretty sure that played Hot Ducks, too. There was a sort of a... I think Heavy Metal Parking Lot was in the same series. There was a, a retrospective kind of forward-backward thing a few years back. And it's just... These things are now mesmerizing, not just because of what you see, but how you see it. And the idea that this thing has survived for 20 or 25 years to emerge now and and still be really, really weird. The VHS tape might even be in that box, now that I think about it. Oh, nice. <laughs> the screener for the first trilogy. Um, yeah, well, in the move, um, we, we excavated all these things, and I found boxes and boxes of videotapes and, and all my old audio cassette interviews from the, from the late 80s and early 90s, before I went digital cool. for recording. Yeah. Yeah, and I can only imagine what's on them. It's been forever. 
and I haven't had the time or really the inclination to dig through them, and I'm afraid that playing the tapes will kill them because oh. they'll stretch. Oh yeah, yeah. Is uh, that how it works with with old tape? Or yeah, yeah. if it isn't been stored perfectly, and it, God yeah. knows it hasn't been. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a. I bought a, a cassette, little cassette deck, like a Walkman with a USB port to ultimately to transfer them, but I'm afraid to start. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there's stuff on there. Oof. I have an interview with Peter Falk and Jenna Rollins from 92 from the American Film Institute when I was out there and the Forrest Gump press tour with <laughs> junkets for Death Becomes Her and all kinds of stuff. But uh, I'm just, I'm scared to uh, Oh, you got to dig through them. it. Yeah. you got to dig through it. I had such a good time going through the whole family videos. But yeah, that sounds, uh, just looking at this, all these boxes, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like there's so many treasures and stories in there that, that are a, waiting to be, yeah. waiting to come out. But it's a task. Yeah. It's going to be work. It, yeah, absolutely. And, and, but that's the thing, that's the, the, that's the feeling I got from, uh, from watching Standby for Tape Backup. I'm watching him archive, or not archive, I'm watching him excavate his own childhood in the yeah. same way. It's not about watching the clips. It's about what, it's about feeling what he feels when he watches them. Yeah. And yeah, apparently yeah, he, he performs okay. it live too. So I'd love to see that. Yeah. But. Yeah. I think that's where it came from originally was, it was a, a fringe festival. Yeah. But the attraction of experiencing someone else's memories is just like, that's what movies are, right? That's yeah. what everything is a chance to inhabit someone else's emotional state. Absolutely, yeah, and I think the his childhood, but also him throughout his life. I guess it it there's those different stages, like the the scene with the bank commercial that's repeating, that's right. and he's talking about working when he was working at a bank, and I think he was making a fair bit of money, but was just going out and drinking all his money away every weekend, and I think in the film he says he did that for four years, and um, yeah, there's again an honesty of someone really putting themselves out there and um i mean as best we can tell it does seem like a documentary but yeah it it seems like he's talking about his real life and um some of those scenes were were interesting too and but keeps keeps it funny keeps it light and um even in even in that kind of sadness there's sort of bits and pieces that are that are hilarious. And, yeah. yeah. Well, and the way he slips into a kind of a hip hop cadence here and there is, it's both a way of keeping our energy up over this one hour monologue, and also showing us that there's a self awareness that that it, this is a performance that it's not like a suicide note. Yeah. Because there is always that third level of device that you're waiting for. It's like, well, what am I really watching? Is yeah. It be a big revelation at the end. And then I think once the the first incidence of of the cadence comes in, it's like, oh no, you're just playing. You're just this is going to be okay. Whatever it is, it's the work of somebody who's come out the other side of whatever's going on. Yeah. But yeah, the bank commercial sequence and the, and the depression that follows and the sense of someone who has been going in the wrong direction but now clearly has found what he's better at or what he's happier at. It's, uh, yeah, it's something you can root for. It, it makes it more human. Yeah. While you're watching old videotape. <laughs> for sure. And I, um, yeah, I think you can almost see a progression in his life as well. I was... When I was when I rewatched it, uh, I was looking him up on Twitter, and he's got a podcast, and uh, there was just some photos, and I got an overall sense that things are going good in Ross's life, and I feel like maybe like those early days of the bank were like I don't know, I'm totally psychoanalyzing a guy who I've never met and I've only watched one of his or a couple of his films, right. but I feel like I feel like Ross is doing good these days, which is it's a nice to see. I don't know, yeah. it could be. Um, 
they say you shouldn't uh like people were always trying to analyze trump and it's prescribe not him. yeah <laughs> they're trying to prescribe him all these things and lots of psychiatrists are like don't do that like you don't know and yeah. so i don't want to maybe maybe you're still miserable ross if you're listening i don't know <laughs> but i get the sense that things are uh things are going well in his life which is which i feel like you can kind of see the the film yeah like i say he it kind of it's kind of sullen and and sad and it sounds like he's having a rough go but it could be one of those things where he recorded it on a bad night or mm. yeah. yeah or yeah i don't know I, I guess digging through i don't know your your grandfather's dementia and, and death and um immersing yourself in those things in such a way is inevitably not going to be a fun thing to yeah. do and so it's yeah. Well, that's the other thing that occurred to me watching it is the suggestion that he's doing this to avoid that. That it's he's immersed himself in a project. Again, and this is where I, I start wondering if it's him or if it's a character that he's constructed for the purposes of watching this video. Like, what if the context of the video is simply assigned to it by this fictional premise? Like, what if he's just decided that this is the backstory of this tape and invented an entire thing around it? And it's fascinating, even if it isn't the case. Uh, to consider it, because he kind of gives you the room to think about it and confronts you with these major emotional beats that then could be feeding into something else or fed by something else. And you just sort of, you're always wondering about, or I'm, I'm always wondering about the existences of the things that I'm watching. Like, what is happening? How did this get in front of me? And what were the circumstances? And why am I, why is it important that I watch this? Yeah. Yeah, and, no. There's a drive to it. There's a, a need to share. I just keep coming back to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. So you as a filmmaker, what attracts yeah. you to things? What do you want to share? What's the, the, the chemistry? <laughs> um, oh, geez. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, this, this one always gets me. I, I never really have a good answer. I don't know. I think it's... I think it's... It's never anything specific, but it's empathy and comedy and, um, yeah, I don't know if I have a answer for that one, sorry. That's no, okay. You sort of work on an intuitive level, I guess. But if you spend years working on something, there must be a compulsion at least, right? Or a need to finish. Yeah, what would that be? Or is it that you just start and want to see where it goes? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer on that. Um, why do I do it? I don't know. It's just fun. I think I just get, yeah, I think it's, maybe it's a compulsion. Maybe I get obsessed with it and, and I like to see it through. I like sharing things. It's fun to, um, I don't really like I don't know. I'm not. I'm not good at promoting films or Q and As and stuff like that. But I think the. I like the idea. I think that maybe that's why I also like putting things online. Uh, is that I can just people can watch it and I don't need to sort of sell it. I suppose right. so that yeah. that part's that part's like um, kind of fun. But so yeah, I think I, I really do enjoy people like making something and then showing it to people. Right. I so think, it's just the act. I think so. Yeah. Out there. Yeah. Yeah. That could be it, yeah. Yeah. The thing that fascinates me about that is that so many people now, you know, 
and and standby for tape backup is weirdly part of it. There's an online need to sort of be demonstrably yourself to show people who you are, yeah, and distinguish yourself, yeah, in a weird compulsive way. Like yeah. you can you can always tell just the same way the eye can always tell when something is real and something is digital, we're still able to figure that stuff out. I think online there's still a good sense of what's real and what's fronting, what 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 is artificial and what is artifice. Mm-hmm. And the honesty is the thing that people say they respond to, but I think they really want narrative. Like you want to watch the dog jump over the hedge. You don't want to watch the dog be cute, even though that's what the dog will do all by itself. You want to see action. Yeah. And and so much of this, um, it's like the, the uh, we're recording this on May the 4th and Jimmy Fallon just released a special video of all the Star Wars characters edited to sing Smash Mouth's All-Star. And for the love of God, why? Like, it's just the, the, like, the need to be looked at, the need to get clicks. That's the thing that's fake. Like, that's the thing that reads to me as desperation or, or, or phony. Mm-hmm. And I, people love it and it shares and I was like, ugh, I, you yeah. know. I want to know, I mean, I'll probably never get it from Jimmy Fallon because I don't think he has that level of introspection, but I want to know why Ross Sutherland put this together. I want to know why people do the things they do, not what they're doing. The, the why, the reasoning behind it is so much more interesting, and that's why there's room to unpack. There's That's what I want. I want to be able to just sort of wallow around inside of things. Yeah. Because um, I'm greedy and I want, <laughs> I want people to do what I want. <laughs> but the compulsion to share this piece of himself yeah from 1989 or whenever the tape was recorded yeah is just something i can understand like i understand the need to define yourself on your own terms and to show people that this this image is meaningful to me for this precise reason and because that's how art works you know like we all own the culture we consume even if we didn't produce it i'm fascinated to see how someone can have such a radically different experience of Ghostbusters than I did. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. You don't get much of a sense of what he's, what his reasoning is behind it either. And, and I tried to look up some interviews and stuff like that. And there, he, he's not putting a lot, he's not putting a lot of stuff out there as to, yeah, the construction of it, which is kind of exciting to, in a way to watch that or like, like to not know as well. Like he's, he's keeping things mysterious in, in, in a certain way, which which I think was interesting. Yeah, the intuitive feeling. I don't know if even he can explain why some of those choices are there. Yeah. Besides what he says in the monologue. Yeah, yeah. It, and it also has like a... It has a bit of a podcast feel to it. Um, especially because some of the visuals, like it just sits there for a while or or we're seeing the same thing over and over again. It, it has It has a like directly connected to your brain kind of feel to yeah. it that that is exciting and, and works works in that way as well, I think. I guess it's also about sort of how, yeah, how we all connect differently with with pop culture, with Jaws, or with uh, with all these different, um, all these different things. Yeah, it's just fun to engage with culture on that way, on that level, like somebody else's culture, somebody else's appropriation. Basically what this show is, mm-hmm. is just the idea to dive into something that isn't yours and, and swim around in it. And uh, the final question of the podcast is always the same, which is what, if anything, of standby for tape backup have you borrowed or stolen or referenced or, you know, interpreted or, or even absorbed into your own creative DNA? Is it floating around in you somewhere or in your work? Um, yeah, I guess the last um, the last short 
doc that I made a few months back. Um, uh, it was all, it's basically, I was going through all the home video and digitizing all our home, old home video mm-hmm. and, uh, had also recalled this from the past. My dad would always go around and like film everybody at Christmases and say, uh, say something intelligent. That was a line that he would repeat to everybody. So I assembled a short film of, of all these different interactions and then threw in a bunch of other old family videos. And, um, yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, I think I don't want to make too many films about personal stuff. I don't think I have, my life is that interesting or, but I think in a certain way, um, from time to time, I kind of want to step into my own life and, and, and put myself out there a little bit. I think that film probably, uh, I think Ross's film and, and some other docs that I've seen recently where, um, people really put themselves out there. I think that's exciting to watch. I love watching that and I love taking that in, but I'm personally uncomfortable putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think, I think in that way it's, um, I want to try that. I work at a university in Vancouver and, um, this year I work with a lot of doc students and this year, um, a lot of them chose to make films about themselves or stories about themselves. And one of the faculty there, she dubbed it selfie, selfie films or something like that, which selfie I, selfie cinema. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which, which, uh, cracked me up, uh, every time I thought about some of their films or thought about some of my films that have been more personal films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it can selfie films, I guess, if we want to adopt her term, they can be terrible. They can be self-indulgent and o- way too long and, um, uncomfortable and just bad. They can be so bad, but they can also be so, so strong. And I think, I think, uh, I think this is a film that Ross's film is a film that, yeah, it, it works on it works on all levels for me personally and, and I guess could be a selfie film if, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I find that there are, there are documentaries just coming out of hot docs. There are so many documentaries that are just from the perspective of the filmmaker mm-hmm. and some of them are, yeah, some of them are absolute, uh, narcissism. They're just look at me, what I do, look at me being an investigative journalist and being, inserting myself into a story and forcing myself my perspective into the doc. And then there are others where your perspective is essential. The filmmaker needs to be part of the story. Uh, there's a movie called Unrest by a woman named Jennifer Bray who suffers from, um, I'm going to get the name of the, the actual, it's chronic fatigue syndrome, but it's since been re- redefined as Myler, I'm going to get it wrong, Emmy, it's called Emmy. And you need to see her struggling with this thing in a non-performative way with the camera on her just showing you how difficult it is for her to simply sit up to understand how she's made this movie because she repeatedly says that she's making this film from her own bed and she does get up and do other things here and there when she's feeling better but you need to know her limitations to understand the accomplishment of the film and why any message of hope or or optimism is so valuable other ones not so much I think it's the, the that's in the editing right you need to be not just willing to confess to the camera, but you need to be able to understand how people will perceive it. And that's when it becomes good. Yeah. When, when you get outside yourself and see how it can be used. And that's, and that's what Sutherland does. And by me not knowing exactly where he's coming from and 
if it's a character, if it's real, and how that relates to the experience of me watching it. I'm just that's a level of engagement that might not be there otherwise. And yeah, I'm real happy for it. It's, for sure, it's what it needs to be. And mm-hmm. so for yourself, I mean, the Sandwich Nazi is in theaters in Toronto today. Yeah. After well, it was two years after Hot Dogs premiere. Yeah. Right? So what's been going on since? Since then, um, I've been working on some short docs Mm -hmm. and that's sort of going to be the plan for a while I think I think I kind of want to go back to in 2012 I started making a series of short docs where I was um, trying to make one a month for a year I think I ended up making like 10 that year or something like that I didn't quite make it but I learned so much from doing that and um, it was such a it was such an enjoyable uh, process to kind of jump from project to project and then having to live with this doc for so long is it's just too long to look at the same footage and the same story so um i want to get back into kind of doing things quickly and um be loose with style and and try some try some different things i've sort of started doing uh i shot a, a short doc with my mom over the winter um all in night cam mode on like a high eight camera, like an old, an old yeah. high eight camera. Um, it's sort of a horror doc, um, kind of borrowing from some of the Winnipeg film group kind of quick editing. Um, but they are, they kind of have a film aesthetic, I guess mine's more video, I suppose. I don't know why I'm drawn to video. Um, I don't really have as much of a, I don't care like about film or film versus digital doesn't really it's not a conversation I'm too excited to have but I I like video I have a fondness for it I suppose and maybe just the cameras that's kind of what we grew up using so um yeah so that's my long way of saying uh I'm gonna make a bunch of weird short docs um and see where things go from there cool yeah I, I have a new job that I got at a university in Vancouver called Capilano and um I love it it's like the best thing that's ever happened to me maybe um and I kind of lucked into the into the job and and I'm like oh this is a lot better than making films (laughs) (laughs) um yeah everybody's happy and excited and I don't know it's it's I'm, I'm sort of I'm gonna do that for a while and Right. Yeah. But if if you're happy in your job, then that means if you do make films, then there'll be films you want to make. Yeah. So that'll be interesting too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This summer, I was gonna take the four months off. I'd saved up enough money to just make my own films this summer. Um, but then a editing job came up for a film that I was really excited to do. So I'm gonna jump into that um, <laughs> at least for a month or two. But um, it's nice to be able to take things that. I really want to do instead of just yeah like when we were Go making from gig to gig. yeah when we were making the sandwich Nazi I was like I have to say yes to every single job that comes up because I'm just spending money on this documentary so <laughs> yeah no freedom is important yeah just the ability to be open to stuff as opposed to having to schedule every last second yeah yeah well good luck with it Thank and uh, yeah Ross if you're listening you're you're up come on down. <laughs> My thanks to Lewis Bennett, whose documentary The Sandwich Nazi is now playing in Toronto at the Carlton Cinemas and coming to VOD later this year. Keep an eye out for it. And thanks also to Robin Mogul. She knows what she did. 
You can find Lewis on Twitter at Lewis Bennett, all one word, Bennett with two T's. And you should have already found Standby for Tape Backup streaming on Vimeo or at standbyfortapebackup.com, like I told you. Also, you should follow Ross Sutherland on Twitter at Ross G. Sutherland, all one word, and check out his podcast, Imaginary Advice, when you have a moment. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilder and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. Throw in a mention of your favorite old tech, why don't you? Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.